After humble beginnings, electric vehicles are beginning to go mainstream. From 2017 to 2022, EV vehicles jumped from around 1 million to more than 10 million a year. But the adaption of electric vehicles is still not happening fast enough to meet our climate goals. Enter hybrids. Hybrid vehicles combine the power of two distinct propulsion systems, an internal combustion engine, typically gasoline, and an electric motor, to offer a more efficient an eco-friendly alternative to traditional gas-powered cars. Given the increase in electric vehicles, this week we are sitting down with Tom Gursky, the CEO of Blue Dot Motorworks, a company that turns traditional cars into plug-in hybrids. Tom, welcome to The Green Place. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. To kick things off, can you provide us with an overview of your background and how you became interested in the hybrid vehicle space? I've always been an just absolute car nut. I was one of those kids who at the age of eight could tell you what every single car was on the road. You know, the difference between a BMW 318i and a 325, you know, that level of nuts about cars. You know, I went out the day I qualified for my license. I went out and got my license. Two days later, I bought my first car, did an engine transplant in high school. Always loved working on them. Just loved the technology, loved everything about them. Did my first engineering job at Ford. And that was kind of a a rude awakening as to what it's like to actually work in the mainstream automotive industry. And it was very clear that I didn't belong there in that sort of a role. So I went into other sectors, uh, namely kind of clean energy to begin with, but then medical devices, global sanitation, all kind of impactful front end product development type roles. But when I started my own engineering and product development consultancy back in 2014, 2015, I wanted to build something from the ground up that could eventually spin out as its own startup. And so obviously something in the automotive sector was where I immediately gravitated because that passion stayed with me throughout the years. I did some racing and just, you know, kept that passion for cars alive, but also over the years became very passionate about climate change. So combining those two things together and trying to identify some white space, a gap in both the market and our set of solutions was what led me to the solution that we're at now. Okay. So it might be handy for our listeners to sort of understand a little bit about your organization, Blue Dot Motor Vehicles. So can you just tell us a bit about that and then the problem that you were trying to solve, I dare say, is probably climate change and the effect combustion vehicles were having on the environment. So could you just sort of give us some detail and some background around that? Yeah, exactly. So Blue Dot Motor Works was born from this kind of gut feel that I had back in that 20 kind of 15 timeframe that I don't think enough existing vehicles will be coming off the road fast enough for us to hit our climate targets. And so that was where the idea of, well, if we could electrify existing cars and do that in a way that's both scalable and cost-effective, then that would go a long way towards addressing that side of the problem. For context, road transportation is the single biggest end-use source of greenhouse gases, so it's a major part of our problem. And over the years, as I kind of had to go back and justify that gut feeling and put some actual numbers to it, as far as I can tell, I was kind of one of the first people to do a really robust analysis of global stock turnover in various EV adoption scenarios and what the effects on emissions would be in those different scenarios. And it was just such an eye-opening experience. As bad as my gut thought the situation might be, the reality was much, much worse. Basically, it just comes down to the fact that there are so many vehicles out there. The number of vehicles is growing so fast. And those two factors relative to how many cars we actually produce every year 
means that the turnover of the fleet, how long it will take to transition over to being, you know, predominantly electric based on how many vehicles are produced just happens extremely, extremely slowly. So just to put it in perspective, if we flipped this, a switch tomorrow and started producing nothing but electric vehicles, we would still ultimately wind up emitting over 300% of the carbon budget that we have left for that sector in order to stay under 1.5 C of global warming. So there's oh. no feasible way to achieve the targets we need to just by producing new vehicles. And if you tried to do it, you'd have to literally double the size of the automotive industry in order to produce enough vehicles fast enough. And of course, from a cost perspective, a manufacturing perspective, that's just a complete non-starter, not to mention all the cars you'd have to throw away prematurely. That would be just a phenomenal amount of wealth and carbon, embodied carbon to just throw away. So once I went through that exercise, it kind of gave me all the commitment I would ever need because I am fully convinced that this is not a nice to have for our climate suite of solutions. This is a must have. So now it's all about executing it and doing it in a way that is cost-effective and scalable, which is the really the two missing ingredients from the way vehicle conversions have always been done. So can your technology and vehicle conversions, can it be done on private vehicles and larger vehicles such as trucks and, you know, freight type vehicles like trucks? Yeah. So technically, yeah, our technology could really be applicable to just about any vehicle. You probably would never want to do it to like a class eight, you know, tractor trailer style vehicle, but kind of anything below that, it could be used where it really shines and its whole kind of reason for existing is to do this in the light duty vehicle space. So, you know, class one through three. And the reason for that is that A, that's the biggest emitting sector by far, just because there's so many more vehicles in that light duty vehicle space than in the heavy duty. Um, but it's also the much tougher nut to crack in terms of doing it in a way that's scalable and cost effective. And so all of the effort and that we've put into arriving at solutions that work for that space, that's where they really shine. And when you start looking at heavy duty or vehicles, you might want to use a different approach because you don't necessarily need what we've baked into our solutions to make it work for that space. Without giving away any proprietary information, can you sort of tell us how you do change a car from one type to another type? Yeah, absolutely. So a few key tenants that we've kept to throughout our technology development. The first is vehicle agnosticism. So we need to have one set of hardware that can cover a vast swath of the automotive landscape. So what that does for you is it allows you to mass produce that hardware. You can now invest in the tooling because you're making it at much larger volumes. You can invest in the tooling that's required to make the components inexpensively. Same thing basically applies to your purchasing power if you're buying parts from other suppliers. And so that gets that price way down. The second tenet is that the installation process has to be fast, simple, and consistent. So fast, because if it takes weeks of human labor to do an installation, that's just gonna drive the cost up and never be effective. But on the consistent and simple side, what that does is it allows you to use third parties. So we use what we call the tire rack model. So you basically buy the unit from us. We refer you to a local installer that we'll have partnered with ship the unit to them, drop the vehicle off in the morning, pick it up in the evening, and it's been converted into a plug-in hybrid. So that's kind of the other different, slightly different twist that we're taking is that we're not converting to full electric, we're converting to plug-in hybrid. So that does a couple of things. One, it lets you use a much, much smaller battery. So that drives the system cost way down. And so for 20% of the battery, you're able to do 80%, get 80% of the benefit of an electric vehicle. It also completely severs the dependency on charging infrastructure. So now you don't have to solve that chicken and egg problem. So really establishing these system architectures that are vehicle agnostic, and we, we basically have two product families in between them, 
we can cover just about every light duty vehicle on the planet. We're able to achieve that level of scalability and cost effectiveness that was out of reach before. I am shocked that it's you drop your car off in the morning and you pick it up in the afternoon and it's now a hybrid. I expected the process to be a lot longer than that and time consuming for you to be without the vehicle. That's yeah, um, yeah, and that's, that's because we've kind of an ancillary tenant that we've kept to is minimal integration. So we keep the native systems of the vehicle almost completely separate from the add-on systems. And that really helps with that installation process being fast. To describe a little bit about the technology that the product that we're launching with, we call the Narwhal. So that's going to be for any vehicle that has a solid rear axle. So that will be almost all pickup trucks. Some vans and some SUVs are configured that way. And if you look at a vehicle of that type, they all have a drive shaft that runs from the front of the engine front of the vehicle rather to the back axle and every drive shaft has a part that's just a hollow metal tube well that's a really consistent interface point that we can leverage for doing it this way so we basically cut a section out of the middle of that tube weld on two flanges and then we bolt a drive unit into the middle and that drive unit contains a stack of axial flux motors which are these just phenomenally power dense motors that can fit in that sort of a space envelope and give you all the power you need a planetary transmission, and then a multi-mode clutch. And that clutch allows you to run on either the engine or the electric motor, or you can actually connect the two together and use the whole system as a generator if you're stationary. So you can power your job site or your campsite or home backup power. The other trick of that solution is that because that whole drive unit's kind of floating on the drive shaft, we have to provide the reaction torque for that motor. So we have a linkage that connects up to the axle tubes, which are another very consistent interface point that we can leverage on all vehicles that are laid out that way. This is amazing. It seems like an incredible product that you've developed and working with. Congratulations. It sounds thanks, great. Thanks. It's been, you know, it's been a journey to get there for sure. It was years and years and years of heads down development and trying different things and prototyping them and you know beating my head against the wall to arrive at a solution that both is scalable and cost effective and would result in a you know acceptable user experience. What I might find acceptable as a you know a tech savvy card nut engineer is not necessarily going to be acceptable to your grandma or your grandpa. So we had to get the user experience to be something that the mass market would accept as well. So it's been a challenge, but I like where we're at right now. And I think we've put all the really scary risks to bed with our prototypes and we're really ready to take the next stage of development off and get these out there. That's brilliant. The transition to electric vehicles has been a pretty hot topic. I think everyone's aware of it and probably has an opinion on it. How do you see the role of hybrid vehicles evolving in the context of that transition? And how is Blue Dot MotorWorks adapting to the changing landscape? Yeah, so we're very bullish on plug-in hybrids in general. And the reason for that, Power already kind of touched on it, but the big bottleneck for the next 10-ish, maybe 15 years is going to be battery production. So you can put five plug-in hybrids on the road using the battery from one electric vehicle. And if each of those plug-in hybrids is doing 70, 80% of its driving on electric power, it's not very complicated math to show that you get much more decarbonization from those plug-in hybrids than you get from the battery electric. The other big bottleneck is getting enough chargers out there to support mass adoption of EVs. And for people who can charge it at home, the plug-in hybrid completely eliminates that problem because you can lean on that engine when you're taking that occasional road trip, which if you look at how most people actually drive, you know, 30, 40 miles of range, that's going to cover almost all your daily driving needs. It's only the occasional use case, which doesn't happen as often as we like to think it does. We don't take that road trip as often as we as we think we do. It's so it's just a huge win from a resource utilization standpoint. Now, that being said, there is no one size fits all solution. So we need lots of new electric cars. We need 
lots of conversions. We need lots of plug-in hybrids. And we and to be fair, we also need some conventional hybrids. There's still a place for those in, in the marketplace for where we're at, particularly in places where the grid is not very clean. You know, the benefits of EV are kind of go in direct proportion to how clean your grid is. And if you've got a coal-fired grid, then particularly if you're not driving very much, all the embodied carbon that goes into making a brand new electric vehicle, there's a very good chance you would never actually break even from that in the life of the vehicle in certain use cases. So we need a suite of solutions. You know, that doesn't mean that anything should go. We still have to be smart about what we do, but we need a suite of solutions. When I first started crunching these numbers on fleet turnover, I did kind of get a bit anti-EV. It was like, no, everything should be plug-in hybrids. Everything should be conversions. And turns out the numbers don't work out that way either. Like you need a balanced portfolio if we're going to have any kind of success. Yes. Like you said, it's not a one size fits all. It's going to take a lot. And it's interesting that you say that it, sort of the grid and where the power is coming from is so important in the overall outcomes. I think a lot of people that I speak to that are you know, somewhat skeptical on all the things that are happening in climate change, sort of use plug-in and electric vehicles as a bit of a saying, well, you know, the base of where you're getting it is still dirty if you're getting it from, you know, coal-fired. So it's interesting that you say that and acknowledge it and know that people, the base of what we need to change yeah. is where we're getting the electricity from. And then all of these things that are built on top of that are really almost ready to go to help with the climate effort. But we really do need to work on that core of where we're getting our electricity from. Yeah, exactly. And I actually see a lot of parallels with sort of what we're doing and electrifying the grid when it comes to the question of nuclear. I see, yes, there's a future where everything will be battery electric, but we have to get there. We have to get there fast and we can't get there fast enough without plug-in hybrids, without conversions, without retrofits. Same thing with the grid. There's a hypothetical future where everything could be wind, solar with enough storage and enough, you know, DC long range transmission to balance everything out. That is a conceivable future that could potentially work, but there's just no way in hell we can get there fast enough. So I think that's where things like nuclear have to be part of the conversation. I'm guessing in your industry, there's quite a lot of government regulation and possibly also government incentives that can have a significant impact on yeah. hybrid vehicles. So how has Blue Dot Motorworks navigated regulatory changes and leveraged the incentives to grow your business? Yeah. So fortunately in the US, because one of our key differentiators is that we're not selling a vehicle, we're selling an aftermarket kit in effect. And so that puts it in an entirely different category. The automotive aftermarket, particularly in the US, there's tons of white space to operate. It's not nearly as regulated as it is if you're producing brand new vehicles. So that's great for us. The other side of the kind of government equation is that unfortunately, as things are written now, there are not existing incentives that would apply to our types of products. What we're able to do in some markets that have robust carbon markets, we're able to leverage carbon credits and in places that have compliance and it's a regulated environment and the prices are quite high, we can actually significantly defray a lot of the cost of the units using that type of thing. But you know, we really believe that systems like ours should 100% qualify for all the incentives that brand new vehicles do. It's really, and if anything, they should qualify for more. It's a conversion is, is what we call triple win. So it puts an EV on the road, it takes an existing car off the road, and it avoids all the upfront carbon of building a brand new car. And to put that in perspective, if you're talking about a car that wouldn't have otherwise been produced, so you know somebody who's only buying a new car because they want an, an EV, it takes eight years of driving that EV to break even from the embodied carbon it took to make it. If you're already in the market for a car, then it's a much different situation. But if you're talking about 
a car that wouldn't otherwise exist. It's a really deep hole to start in. So we're working on that, on getting incentives in place. We're really starting at a state level. We're trying to put it on the radar of, of policymakers, uh, make sure that everybody's educated about A, the fact that we just can't get there with brand new electric cars alone, and then B, the benefits of working this type of solution into the equation. So basically starting at the state level, and hopefully from there, we can get to the federal level. And just put that in perspective, if the federal EV tax credit applied to our systems, we'd be basically giving them away. Well, so there's definitely an incentive for maybe people to jump online and lobby their representative to make a few changes because then they might be able to have this product on their car yeah, for, for and, very and discounted price. From, a, you know, from an equity standpoint, you know, one of the main policy tools we have for solving climate change is, you know, some form of carbon pricing, whether that's, you know, from a cap and trade system that kind of uses market forces to do that or straight up carbon taxes or whatnot. But that has a huge regressive component if you don't give people with low incomes a solution that they can use to decarbonize so they're not paying that tax. And our system kind of gets to the critical level of cost effectiveness, where if you finance it, your gas savings are going to be greater than your monthly payment. So you will have immediate savings with no out-of-pocket expense. And that's kind of really a tipping point in when solutions like ours can take off. Who are your typical customers and what technology advancements are you seeing coming up on your product? Sure. So we're going to market by targeting fleet customers first. So the real specific beachhead we're going after are municipalities, school districts, campuses. Those are attractive as a beachhead market because A, they're sort of naturally geofenced. So they kind of by definition fit the plug-in hybrid model pretty well. They're not really doing hundreds of miles a day. They're doing, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles a day. Many of them have either existing or upcoming mandates where they have to cut their emissions in order to be in compliance legally with what's been legislated. And then lastly, they're extremely budget constrained. So if you look at the, the very first beta customer that we onboarded to sign up for a pilot program was a school district in British Columbia. They've got a mandate to cut their emissions 40% by the end of the decade. They've got a bunch of pickup trucks and vans that are used by their tradespeople for you know maintaining their buildings and their grounds. And when they looked at what it would take to hit that decarbonization target by replacing their vehicles with EVs, you know, F-150 Lightnings, Rivians, e-transit vans, they just couldn't come anywhere close to achieving that level of turnover on anything remotely resembling their normal operating budget. So we ran the numbers on their fleet and showed that if they did their entire fleet, they'd cut their emissions 65%. So they'd exceed their mandate. That solution would pay for itself in two years. And over the life of that conversion product, the school district would save over a million dollars. So it kind of took this pickle area in with no real viable solution and actually turned it into a really positive cost savings opportunity. So that's why that market is exciting as a great entry point because it's, you know, it just hits on so many levels and solves so many existing problems. The really exciting part is getting into the consumer market. That's where the big numbers are. That's where the huge impact is going to come from. So when we look at that, what that looks like from a global market size, we define the serviceable available market because it doesn't really exist today. So we have to kind of define it in a different way. We define that as all the vehicles that will be on the road between now and 2050 that would be good candidates for conversion and that would realize a, you know, a positive return on investment with this product. So the product would eventually pay for itself. And that would be a $5 trillion market. So it's a massive opportunity. So you must have some pretty good partnerships and collaborations. Can you share any examples of strategic relationships that Blue Dot Motorworks has formed? 
Yeah, so certainly the pilot customers that we've onboarded now are going to be critical and putting those first units in the customer hands, getting the feedback from them that we can use to inform the kind of final definition of the product moving forward. That's really important. We're trying to keep our internal team kind of small and lean for the time being. So we're leveraging outside resources for the next rounds of prototype development. So there's several established automotive consultancies that we are potentially going to partner with for the next rounds of development that will give us it'll allow us to move much faster and speed is everything in climate change. Like we got to move really fast, but it'll also really help us get a better sense for all the skill sets that we should bring in internally and in what order. So that'll be really helpful. And then on the installation side, we definitely want to partner with a national franchise or at least one national franchise, something like a Firestone or an NTB or whatnot, so that we can immediately have that national reach. But from an equity perspective, we also want to work with independent mechanics. So we're negotiating right now with a group that was just formed recently, basically that their whole mission is to train independent mechanics for the electric future so that as cars transition over, they're not left behind. So we hopefully will be working with them to put training materials out there so that you know any independent mechanic can sign up for a training program and then you know in a very short amount of time be able to perform these installations. Amazing. Is there a way that listeners could either get in contact with you or a website that people should go and look at if they're interested in this product or a mechanic that wants to be involved? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have our website up there. It's called blue.motorworks.com. Because we're still in development, it's not a particularly customer-centric website, but you can get some of the basic information on there. You can fill out the contact form and I'll probably get that email. So you might be hearing from me if you reach out through the website and then anybody's free to you know look me up on LinkedIn and try to connect there as well. I want to say congratulations again. It sounds amazing and the work that you're doing is so important. So congratulations and thank you for chatting with me today. No, thank you so much. You asked great questions. This was a lot of fun. I know I've said it twice. I really think this is very cool. So congratulations. I think it's oh, thanks it's so great. much. I appreciate that. That's, that's very boring. You get, you know, especially in the fundraising process, which we're going through now, you do get, you have a lot of lows in that process. So having conversations like these and getting that support and enthusiasm kind of helps you get through it. So that's great. Yeah. Appreciate it. I honestly cannot believe that it's you know, an eight-hour process from dropping your car off to picking your car up, and it's yeah. running on a complete like a different system. I think that's that's incredible. I can't imagine the amount of work you had to do. You know, yeah, and you know, to, to, be, to be fair, like we're not there yet, uh, no. but we but we're very confident that we can get down to that level. Some cars might be twelve hours, some cars might be six hours. You know, it kind of depends on there's some accessory systems that some cars will need and some cars won't, and that can you know take the time up and down but you know just the basics of it it's it's pretty dang simple that's incredible and i don't know whether you probably don't want to hear this but i can't believe someone else hasn't <laughs> like been able to do it you know like yeah yeah like... well you know i think as far as i can tell nobody's really thought about it from that perspective of how do you make this scalable there's, there's lots of companies doing conversions but i think they're all pretty happy to just stay at the cottage scale but uh you know there was one company that tried to do this on a venture scale it's called xl fleet but they kind of fell into the common trap of they had vehicle specific systems so their quantities were low their prices were high and they also only performed the conversions on brand new vehicles so as you know if you're talking 25k plus the cost of the vehicle now who's going to do that instead of just buying the f-150 lightning once that became available so they eventually pivoted out of the market Okay. There's a massive market globally, I guess, for a lot of cars out there that aren't electric, aren't hybrid. So 
I really look forward to you to be tapping into that market. I'm excited to watch what happens, and I'm excited to see you on the news or the or um <laughs> you know talking about this or def or some podcasts that are bigger than our one currently. But it's brilliant. So congratulations. Oh, I really appreciate and and I appreciate, for... the, appreciate the opportunity to speak and to get the you know we just we need to get the word out, and the most important thing is just make sure that people know that we need more solutions than what we have. Like, and it doesn't have to be ours, but we need other solutions. And so raising awareness of that is just super, super important. So I appreciate you doing that. That's exactly right. No one solution is the correct solution. It's going to take 15, 20 different solutions, everyone working together. It's a common goal, different ways of getting to that common goal. And yeah, you just yeah. sort of want to be part of that, one of those avenues to get to that goal. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. That's it for this episode of The Green Place. Visit greenly.co to learn more about environmentalism. 